Hey you, thanks for tapping into Untapped Keg. I'm gonna skip the usual rigmarole because we have a very exciting episode today. Something that I definitely don't do very well, which is celebrate myself. So I brought a friend to sell, I can celebrate him and he can celebrate me. Someone that maybe you've all met before, he's been on the podcast before, but author, coach, dad, sock addict, Rob Gilbert. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm really great, RJ. Awesome to be hanging with you again. <laughs> it's awesome having you back too, because every time you and I interact, I always leave with a massive smile on my face. And um, it's something that I, it was a year ago, like literally a year ago that we met. And before we get too far, Rob and I are celebrating 10 years since we quit drinking alcohol. And I almost let it pass without doing something for it, um, like I generally do. And my friend called me out on it and was like, no, you have to celebrate that. I, I know what you want to do, and that's fine, but this is something that you deserve to be proud of yourself for. And so I hit you up, and I was like, you know what? I think this would be a fun episode to do. So when you hear that, Rob, 10 years, what, is that, what does that bring up for you? It's a whole mix of emotion. And I'm like you where I would have posted about it maybe, but I wouldn't have done a big loud celebration without you kind of messaging me because I think the part of me doesn't want to make too big of a deal because I see it as still an ongoing. It's every day, it's every week, every year piles up. And then on the flip, it's mind blowing because I drank a lot before I stopped and I was a binge drinker. It wasn't like I had to drink every day, but when I started I could not stop and for years I would say one day I will stop or I tried for a few weeks and I couldn't do it and the idea of like if I would have gone back in time and said to me 11 years ago hey soon you're going to be living alcohol free and soon you're going to go a whole decade without it I think I'd be in disbelief I'm able to connect to that old version of me that feels pride and in, in disbelief I feel so so similarly because you and I were similar drinkers where I, you know, what I say is I didn't drink a lot, but when I drank, I drank all of it. Right. I made, I made, I made up for that time. And so, um, when I stopped for me, and this is, this is something that is, I think really unique to me and my personality was I made the decision and that was the decision. And so I've had cravings and I've had things like that, but it was something that I was like, this is something I'm just not going to do anymore. And so I started to live my life around that. But what you're saying about, you know, talking to myself 11 years ago, like I would not, I would absolutely not believe that I'm here 10 years later, have a podcast about sobriety and mental health, have, you know, a coaching business around guiding people after they quit drinking alcohol to their self-discovery to figure out what you want to do after you quit drinking. Like, I would not think that that's where I, I am here. Here I am. And that's something that is, it's amazing to look back on. It is amazing. And I, I can feel your, your energy as you talk about it. And I'm glad we're celebrating each other today. Same, same, man. So I laid it out. I have three questions and where it goes it goes untapped keg style. So 
What is something that you wish you knew at the beginning of your alcohol-free journey? Something I wish I knew at the beginning of my alcohol-free journey was that it gets easier. Mm. I think that, that knowing that it really does get easier and that the first time that you tell someone you're not drinking, the first time you go to a birthday party, the first time you meet up with friends in a familiar place where the drinking happened, those are all tough and understandably so the first time you go to a wedding, but that it gets easier and that there becomes this weird switch point where that becomes your norm, where the end, the idea of drinking, that would that's harder. Um, and I think if I could say that to myself, um, I think I might've started this journey sooner. And I'm not one to say like, you know, I, I, I have regrets or I would change things in my past because I'm really grateful for where I am now and the way things have lined up. But it, it, it it's amazing because it felt like a weight. It felt scary. It felt intimidating, all sorts of those things. And, but then you get past a certain threshold. And of course there's days, of course there's days where like, yeah, a beer would be nice today. Or when I've done things like this in the past, I associate having a glass of wine in this scenario, but it's, it's easy now, which is crazy to say. Yeah. And I, that's such, such great advice too, where you're right about the first time that the first time, the first time for anything. I mean, even if you're not talking about not drinking, it's always, you feel like you're walking through mud. You feel like very rarely do things the first time click, but that switch is flipped where it becomes your norm. And it's just, this is, this is what it is. It's so true. It is. And I, I can't even tell you exactly when that flip switch for me, but I know it also, I also felt that. And yeah. I love, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. Oh, it's just the, the thing you're saying about the first is a really great way to remind people. Cause then it's, but like think of the first time you rode a bike. Think of the first time you properly kissed someone. Think of the first time you went to a job interview, right? There's just all these things where they were just so weird and awkward. And I I hope that everyone listening to this now is consider themselves an okay kisser and, and, you know, has been through enough job interviews that the job interview is not as intimidating, but there's all these things. So of course, at first it's hard. Of course, it's weird. Of course, it's feels, you know, muddy or murky. Yeah. And I think that job one is such something that a lot of people can relate to. Like if you can remember your first week, your first month on a job and how, yeah, how confusing and frustrating and annoying it was compared to where you are right now, how proficient are you at your job? How much does it take very little top of mind thinking to do your job, right? To do the the basics, right? There's always things that you have to be top of mind and aware of, but it's a, it's the same thing as it comes to not drinking and being alcohol free and creating that new environment that you want to be in. Ooh, that's great. That's great. And I've been, so I thought about these questions five minutes before we got on, because <laughs> I wanted just a little bit of structure for this and how are we going to celebrate it? And mine is definitely that emotions and feelings are not something to be scared of, mm. that they are not a weakness, they're a strength. And it's okay, again, going back to that first time thing, it's okay that you don't have an understanding of what they are. Mm. 
because that is something that we're not taught. That is something that society tells you to put somewhere. Just don't bring it over here. And so starting to learn and getting to know myself and allowing my emotions and feelings, it's, it's opened me up to be myself authentically, to really be a better parent, and then to be present and enjoy my life instead of worrying about stuffing those down so much that I'm just so tired at the end of the day, I can't really enjoy anything. Mm, that's powerful. And that's definitely for a lot of people, alcohol is a good mask for just not needing to think about, deal with, face, or, or learn how to. Yeah, if you think about as we we're kids and depending on our families and where we went to school, the kind of teachers, for a lot of it, yeah, you're right. It's like, don't bring your feelings here or that you're allowed to feel happy and maybe a little angry, but not too angry. Like, yes. and we're not, we're not going to get into like why or healthy ways to express, or it's just like the list of feelings you're allowed is, is short. The breadth of it is very narrow and then not much discussion around it, not much understanding around it. Yeah. And it not even like, oh, here's an outlet that you can take that to. It's just, just shove it in the back, put it in the closet, push it in while you shut that door and then hope that the door doesn't burst. And the problem is the door always bursts. It's just a matter of, is it a place where it's not going to do too much damage? <laughs> yeah, there's no avoiding that it will blow up. And look, you and I are, are both men and there exists. And especially I think when you and I were younger, things are changing a bit, but for men, like you are not allowed to express emotions and should you express some softer emotions, you will get labeled weak or other terrible insults and called all sorts of terrible things to, you know, suck it up. Buttercup would be a nice way to put it. Absolutely. Um, so it, it, it makes it even more difficult because then it's like, you're feeling it. You don't know what it is. You don't know how to think process, whatever. And then you're told essentially that what you're feeling is also wrong or it makes you bad or makes you weak or makes you, not, not good, not a good man. Right. And that's, I mean, that's something that, yes, it's starting to turn, but it's interesting how it's starting to turn. You, you hear it's okay to express your emotions. You hear that. I want you to do that. However, as soon as you start to do it, people don't know how to take that. And so there's a, there is a big freak out when it comes to you expressing your emotions and especially, especially if it's something that somebody else um, should just say, I'm sorry that, you know, I did that and I'll try not to. It tends to be, uh, well, you know, we all have big, big emotions. We all, we all feel that way sometimes, but we just work through it and we don't say anything. And it's like the buttoned up version of man up. And, <laughs> and go about it. And it's okay that that happens. I, I don't, cause that's we are more than just men are confused when it comes to feelings and emotions. However, when it comes to holding space for other people's emotions, typically when we say that we're referring to women and we're not referring to 
men having a space to be able to talk about their emotions and feelings and not be ridiculed on the backside. Even if you don't mean to ridicule, it's just saying, I, I can understand how that would make you feel that way and move on is all you got to do. And it's, it's something that I know that we will get better at as we do it. It's just a matter of when you put yourself in that space, it still does not feel good. So how good are you at holding space for yourself? That's another one. <laughs> oh, big time. I love that. How good are you at holding space for yourself? I've got a client who is at the tail end of finishing a book and it's all about the role that self-compassion plays in leadership. And it's not a connection that is normally made, but the, he's worked with thousands and thousands of senior leaders, people who manage millions of dollars and hundreds, if not thousands of employees. And time and time again, once there's a space created for that person and they trust him and they're in, then it's almost always that they're really hard on themselves. They're really shitty to themselves. They are so mean to themselves. They judge themselves so harshly. So then of course, what shows up for the people around them and the way they lead is hard-nosed or micromanaging or difficult to be around or thorny because internally they're just so damn hard on themselves. Mm. And I feel that one. I feel that one hard. I uh, I was listening to a podcast. It was 10% happier. And I can't remember the, the um, doctor who was on, but he had a saying and it like, I was, this was, less than a year ago that I heard this and it just like hit me over the head. And I was like, I, I needed to hear that. If you are a massive critic to yourself, right. Which I think a lot of people can relate to. And that's exactly what you're talking about. That's okay. But are you also your own best friend internally when you need to be, are you there pumping each other up, pumping yourself up, giving yourself grace, giving yourself what is necessary to be able to move through life. And I was like, I am still too much of a critic of, on myself mm -hmm. and not enough of a friend. And that was, that was what I needed to hear. <laughs> uh, I love that you got that message. I was just talking about that person in the book. I want to say his name because the podcast can live forever. His name is Massimo Bacchus. So if you are listening to this and curious about that person's book, that's who you need to look up. And the you were saying earlier about the people not knowing how to respond, how to react. You know, when someone if someone just shares, oh, I'm feeling this or this is what's going on. And you're right, we have not learned how to. And I saw a quote recently, and it was along the lines of us telling everyone that they're not allowed to talk about religion and abortion and these other taboo pro topics has made it that there's a generation of people that have no idea how to talk about difficult topics such as politics, abortion, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we could put this thing about feelings in the same bucket, right? Just, you don't talk about it. It's taboo. It's off guard. These are the feelings you're allowed to express, but only to a level two, if you express some emotion at a level three and it's not excitement, then no. And if you're, you know, if you're a man, you do this, you're going to get told you're that. And, you know, if, and if you're a woman and you're struggling with emotions, you're going to get labeled as crazy. And it's yes. just right. It's just quickly label people, ostracize them. And like, but it means we, most people are not equipped really. And 
that's where sitting in your discomfort becomes something that is a superpower. And that's really where you get to learn where your authenticity is. Because when you challenge your own beliefs, like, where did I get this from? Do I really believe this? Or was I told that I should believe this? When you challenge that, that's when you really get to learn who you are, how you want to operate in the world, how you want to change going forward. I mean, that's, that's really where, how you get to 10 years alcohol free is challenging your beliefs around alcohol, challenging your beliefs uh, around socializing, like, you know, and dating and all of this challenge it, sit in that discomfort a little bit and see where it takes you. And that's, that is a, that is something that I think really just going through life, the ability to sit through, sit in your discomfort and decide, is this uncomfortable because it's new, it's unknown. I'm challenging something and I'm not sure how things are going to be going forward. Or is this uncomfortable because it's not in alignment with me, that it's against my values, my actual values, my, you know, myself. And I, you know, it's, it's actually not something that I think has a place, things like that. Right. So yeah, that is such a, such a great point about, you know, we're just, we are making it to a point of if somebody's telling me about their emotions and feelings and I don't know what to do, I just can't, I'm just gonna, you know, fold. I'm just going to go inside and I'm going to be like, Nope, can't tell me. Then you need to keep that to yourself. And that's okay. It's okay to do that in the moment, right? It's okay to have that reaction, but how are you going to respond? afterwards says a lot too. So Rob, to get to the second question, what is something that you are proud of yourself for besides the 10 years? <laughs> I'm proud for how, oh gosh, the first thing that came to mind is how I've shown up differently to the people that are most important to me. I've shown up differently as a partner, as a parent, as a, as a papa, and in the most important roles in my life. That's the first thing that came to mind. I think I'm also proud of that I rewrote the script, that I rewrote the labels, that I rewrote the identity. And that ties back to what you were just talking about is these beliefs that we have. And a lot of it were projected on us. And within my group of friends, I was known as like the rowdy one. And you give Rob some shots, it's going to get funny and I'm going to be a little obnoxious. And my first career was in music. I was a DJ and music producer. So I was in nightclubs and all these events and stuff all the time. So it was normal. It was totally normal and expected. And I had to rewrite all that. And I'm, I'm proud of my myself for having completely changed the way I see myself, talk about myself and conduct myself because of it. I love that. And that's, that's so much in alignment with what I was going with too. And, you know, for mine, it's going to be how I've moved through this darkest period of my life, right? With going through a divorce and co-parenting kids, moving across the country, um, complete and total career shift, leaning into entrepreneurial life, like 
being able to do that and do it in a way that is true to myself, not always, not always pretty. There's been some very ugly moments. There's been quite a few ugly moments where if you asked me while I was going through it, I was completely unsure what it was going to look like on the other side, or that I would be able to look back and be proud of myself for how I've moved. But with that, rewriting a lot of scripts, exactly what you're talking about and how I've shown up differently as a dad, as a, as a, you know, how I'm going to show up differently in relationship, how I'm accepting accountability for my role in this reality that I helped to create, whether, you know, I was knowingly trying to create it or not, I had a part of it. And some of that's the subconscious and some of that is the choices that I made that I thought were the best at the time that turns out maybe they weren't, but that's okay. I didn't know better at the time, but now that I know better, I can do better. So really navigating this time period in such a way that I'm coming out the other side in a place where I feel like my foundation is unshakable. And before there's, there's podcast episodes that you can listen to. And I knew that the divorce was coming, but I didn't tell anybody. And you can hear me be very nervous about losing somebody about my foundations. And you, you can, there's questions that I ask that insinuate that. And now it's just, I know who I am and I'm not trying to impress anybody. And because I'm not trying to impress anybody, what their reaction is to me creates this, um, this ability for me to just hold firm and strong and say, okay, I appreciate that that's what you're feeling, but that's just not something that, um, that is going to shake me off of this. And that's, that's been special when I look back on it, like, and I'm looking at it right now, like it, it is something that's special. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be this exact person moving forward. Cause I still, I'm still going to change. I'm still going to evolve. That's part of life. But what it does mean is that I get to lean into this authenticity and enjoy my life right now, instead of what it could be in the future. Mm, I got goosebumps when you said not trying to impress others. It's so true. And that's when you are clear on who you are, what your beliefs are, what's most important to you. Because I help people build their businesses. And one of the things that's said a whole lot in marketing space, blah, 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 is you need to get people to know, like, and trust you. You need to have clients know, like, and trust you. And it's said to the point now where it's, people don't even, I think, stop and think about it. But it really is asked backwards. And I rant about this a lot is that there's all these people out here trying to impress others, trying to get others to know, like, and trust them, but they don't even know, like, and trust themselves, right? Do you actually know who you are? You're talking about values earlier. That's normally like one of the first steps with a lot of coaching because it's like, let's do it. Like truly, what is important to you? If you found out that you only have five years to live, if you own a hundred million dollars tomorrow, if you know, like, what would you do differently? Oh, okay. So what's different on that version of life versus the way you're living life right now? Like, do you really know who you are? And are you living in accordance to that? You know, do you like yourself? 
even if you have the haircut that aren't Jay and I have currently, <laughs> you know, even if you don't fit into your college jeans, even if you've made mistakes in your past, you know, have you forgiven yourself for that? And do you trust? And that's, that's, a, that's accountability. That's you. If you say you're going to do something, you're going to get up, you're going to show up, you're going to be there for them. If you say something, do you keep your word? And because once you have that stuff dialed in, then yeah, I don't need to worry about what someone else says. You don't need to worry about impressing someone. It's okay if they don't understand or disagree or good. That's okay. No judgment on them, but you're safe because the foundation that you built is is strong and it's anchored in, in who you actually are. Yeah. And that's, I didn't know, I didn't know the difference. I think that's the, that's the thing too, is when you don't know the difference, it almost feels like a threat, right? Like i no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm shakable. I don't, I don't rely on anybody else, but as soon as there's criticism, it's no, that there's no way I can't accept that. There's, there's no way I could do this differently. And that's another thing that, yeah, like people's reactions, they still impact me, but they don't impact me to the point that I'm going to change who I am fundamentally. And that is the difference between living for the external rather than living for you. And you get, that's how you get to change the script. That's how you get to, you know, showing up differently. And I want to change. Okay. If you want to change, let's change something. Well, there's not really anything I can change, but you said you wanted to change. Yeah, I do want to change. Okay. So let's change something. <laughs> Uh, and that's, that's kid. That can be a hard pill to swallow too, where it's okay. You said you wanted to do this. That means that you're going to have to get very uncomfortable. Are you going to lean into it? Mm. <laughs> the, the real questions being asked. And that's why there's the, most people don't change until the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. And that's why some people stay stuck. And there's a, I think Tony Robbins is the line. People choose history before mystery is another way to put it. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. People stay in unhealthy relationships. People stay in jobs where they're not appreciated. People do things that drain them day in and day out because that is less scary, less intimidating than doing what is required to actually change. And that's where, you know, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability as your greatest form of courage because leaning into that unknown, like choosing the mystery, that is vulnerability at its, at its core. And so when you look at all of these, like something I've learned is you look at a lot of Eastern philosophy, I mean, even Christianity, even the new age philosophies they generally all point to, um, you know, choosing the unknown and leaning into the discomfort because the comfort that is there is probably where our suffering is. And so if we choose the comfort of our own suffering, then we are letting go of the discomfort of our best life and when you see it, you can't unsee it. So <laughs> once you're aware of it, it's true. You make me think of tying this back to both you and I celebrating this 10 years. 
the you know it was the the fear of and the comfort of well these are my friends this is what i do my career is in music my career is in nightclubs and at festivals these are you know this is this is my life this is what's expected of me this is the so what am i going to change what I do day to day, who I hang out with, change every aspect of my environment. I'm going to be the person who's not drinking at the wedding. And if this is the life I want to lead, and yeah, I know this is the same for you, if this is the life you want to lead, then yeah, the answer is yes. It really is. Yes, you're going to have to and need to make some choices that feel difficult at first and and switch things up. And, I, and this is full circles back to say, of course, it's going to be difficult at first. Of course, it's going to be murky. It's the first time you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And what we tell ourselves too about not drinking, oh, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be that person in the corner, not doing anything. I'm going to, I can't have fun doing this. I can't hang out with that friend unless I'm also drinking. And the truth is those things have nothing to do with drinking. We have just associated it with it. And so, ah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Just leaning into that. So Rob, you're at 10 years, you haven't drank 10 years. You're, you know, you're proud of yourself, the way you're showing up differently, the way you've rewritten your script. What are you excited for moving forward? I'm excited for how many more years of energy of health of vitality of like grabbing life and embracing it and running with it i have and this in the micro moments just not losing some days to a hangover and not spending money i didn't need to spend but in the bigger picture it's like i feel awesome i'm in my mid-40s i feel incredible i feel powerful i feel alive like i i like the container that i'm in right now and I know a big part of that is because of my decisions around living alcohol free. So I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. I, uh, we have a lot of stairs in our house and I express gratitude every time I go up and down them. Cause I know there's going to be a point in time in the future where my body doesn't work the same and I won't be able to go upstairs. So I think the, the health aspect in not drinking is something that I really connect and I'm, I'm excited for that. Mm. Those are some, those are some really good, really good ones. What about you? I am most excited to try my new favorite food. And when I was drinking, I would try different foods, but generally it was within the name. They're the same ethnicities. And since I've quit drinking, my taste buds have changed in what I enjoy, things that I used to not enjoy, I really like. And They've opened up to really want to try different cuisines, like um, you know, some West African, um, Nigerian, Ghanaian food. I love it. I love all of that kind of food that I don't know if I would have tried previously. And another thing is, you know, um, Korean food. I would have probably just stuck with Chinese and sushi and like. Yeah, that's the that's the Asian food that I'm gonna have. But the differences and the nuances and just exploring what life has to offer now, instead of waiting for life to come to me and bring me what it has to offer, I'm just looking out there at the possibilities 
and I'm reaching out and trying it on, see what works. And that is something that is something that I'm grateful for, especially when I look back and I see, I see how I let things, um, let things pass me by without taking a moment to allow it to happen like this, like the 10 years I was going to let it pass me by rather than take a moment to reflect and be excited for myself and be excited for, you know, other people as well. That is something that I would not have done. So yeah, being mm. excited for that. I love that answer of yours because it's unlocking a whole new world. It's unlocking a whole new part of life. And you would have lived your entire life in this lane, but now you're like, and there's this lane. And actually I realized there's also that lane. So all of a sudden your life experience is just so much broader. And if you'd have told me two years ago that I'd be doing Kung Fu, you know, very two to three times a week and yoga and some Tai Chi, I would have been like, no, that's not me. That's not, that's not something that I would particularly enjoy, but I tried it. I enjoyed it. And the more that I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And now it's become an important part of my life. Just like it's the same thing with journaling and these other things that meditation, mindfulness, like stuff that I looked at and I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool and all, but that's just not for me. That's not something that I would enjoy. And then trying it, it's like, wow, this, this feels really good. I'm going to stick with this. <laughs> I love it. It's back to the rewriting the script. And you said, you know, this is not for me or that's not who I am. And when we're kids, we'll try a lot more stuff and we have, we're less fearful around it, around it. And then we get older and we're more hesitant and what if, and that's not who I am. And then our peer groups project who we are on us and we buy into these beliefs and we do things to live up to those labels or live down to the labels, depending on if they're ones that are uh, empowering or not. But yeah, you've just changed so much with intention in so many different categories of your life now that just like you have the pen in your hand, you're like, yeah, who, who is RJ? And who do I want him to be? And, oh, I don't like this. Okay, I can, I can write a different version of myself. Oh, wow. That analogy, that just gave me, that just gave me some goosebumps too. Cause you know, I've been talking to, I have two clients that are at the end of, you know, my course and I've been talking to them both about how they get to choose how they define themselves. They don't have to let the past choose that for them. They don't have to let other people choose that for them. They get to choose. And so you just saying that I felt myself doing that same thing. And it, gosh, that's when, that's, that's when you start to live in your authenticity and live the life that you want rather than waiting for the life that you want to come to you. Cause that's not going to happen. No, it's really not. Either you define what's important to you, how you want to spend your days, how you want to prioritize, give yourself your own goals, deadlines, task, you know, creative or otherwise, or someone else will, or, you know, the, the, the world, the economy, the just like things are moving and you're just going to get nudged into something where someone else is like, yeah, you're good enough and we'll pay you and you'll get comfortable and hopefully you'll buy some stuff so that you have to stay here and it, it exists. 
it, it exists in so many different ways. When I quit DJing, because I, 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 we have so many similarities. Went through a divorce, we're celebrating 10 years. Uh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur on and off, but I did get to a point five years ago where I thought it was done. I was like, I'm 40, two kids, mortgage. I've done the entrepreneur thing before, but I've got a good paying job now. I have a director level salary, blah, blah, blah. This is it. But anytime I took a few moments to quiet down, anytime I took one of those little vacations that I was able to get and maybe put my phone away for a couple of days, I just couldn't shake the feeling that's like, oh, I'm meant to be doing something else. I'm meant to be doing more. And this is just me pretending. This is me playing small. And when I left the DJing thing earlier, because I've like I've reinvented myself a couple of times. When I left that, I had someone post on my Facebook wall because I had a Facebook page with a bunch of people that were into my music and supported me, which I really appreciated. And someone said, you can't retire. That's who you are. Mm. And just projected so loudly, like with concrete, like you cannot stop doing this thing. You cannot change what you do. You cannot change careers. In my mind, that's who you are. And there's some level of that that exists for all of us. And whether it's our partners, our parents, or high school friends, or, or whoever, coworkers, and these people, they project this stuff on us. And then that starts creating this mold, which creates some of the weight. We're like, well, I can't change this. Is this comfortable? Well, it's comfy enough. What's up there? I don't know, but I don't want to let them, I don't want to let them down. And what are they going to say? Yeah, I'll just keep writing this out. That is, uh, God, you, I mean, you just, you just created this perfect analogy for those moments in our life where we know, you know, that something mm -hmm. like I found it in myself when I was driving, when I was driving to and from work, cause I had over an hour, most of the time. And it was just this, this feeling that I couldn't pin down that I didn't understand. That was like, something is missing. Something's not there you this can't be all there is to life and just how that has taken me to where i am now and so i think that so many people have that exactly what you're talking about when you slow down and you're yourself how does it feel and that's when you can lean into those things and mm, you don't necessarily need those catalyst moments you don't need to wait till the pain is more than what it would take to change, right? The pain of staying the same. Uh, Rob, this was so much fun. Congratulations on 10 years, buddy. Like, Congrats that to is you, RJ. such amazing, an amazing accomplishment and it's not, nothing to sneeze at. So, um, you know, if there's, if people want to reach out and wish you a congratulations or see, you know, what you have going on, where can people do that, Rob? My main online hang is LinkedIn. So R-O-B-B, Rob with two Bs, G-I-L-B-E-A-R. I also moonlight a little bit on Instagram. I've got a book. If you've enjoyed some of the banter that RJ and I've had, I've got a book called Die Before They Do. It's a collection of stories that I think you'd really enjoy. And yeah, those are probably the best places to, to hang out, to come check me out. And thank you, RJ. It's huge congrats to you. Uh, and I love, I love that someone connected us. And I think I mentioned it in the last podcast that I, this woman, Courtney, who I know you're friends with now too. And she was a client of mine and she came across RJ and saw him talking and celebrating his nine years or sharing his nine years. 
And she messaged me and she was like, I just found this other guy. Uh, you look like twins and he's also at nine <laughs> years. I, like, what are the chances? And I just cold messaged you, RJ. And now here we are, second podcast celebrating each other. Uh, I look forward to meeting you in person one day because I know one day we'll get to meet in person. I look forward to when we get to do that. I agree. That is going to be, that's going to be a great time. And, you know, speaking of Courtney, she's going to be on the podcast soon. So be on the lookout for that. And I know we're going to mention how she connected the two of us. And it's amazing when you look at just these little things in life that have these big ripples and just take this episode as a lesson to allow yourself to be celebrated, no matter how big, how small you think it is, it could lead you to a friendship that you didn't know would be something that is important in your life. So hmm. I appreciate each and every one of you hanging out. Um, have a great time and congratulations to us. 10 years. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> uh, big congrats. All right. Have a great week, everybody. I love you.